Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Widener Show, powered by SoundWeb Studios. Visit online at SoundWebStudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. SoundWeb Studios is the answer. SoundWeb Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition way. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at SoundWebStudios.com. Mention Mike Widener Show, get 20% off your first project. SoundWeb Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molson Zia. If you love fast paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson Zia. Available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson Zia garnered great reviews and Eve 11 enjoys by Howard celebrities, including John Cassie, Forge Riley, Eminem's. So grab your copy today for Ghost Missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on 30 podcast platforms, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music, and more. Take the Mike Widener Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram and Twitter today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7, Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash me and Molson Zia for great books on missing, wants, and wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash me and Molson Zia. Check it out today. Also, support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, Widener.com. And make sure you buy me a copy at buymeacoffee.com at the Mike Whiter Show. And make sure you do so today. We're here with a terrific two of the members in the studio. And the third will be joining us um, later as well, too. And uh, they formed a new project to bring the original music of Sounds Gone By by, by analog to today's generation. We'll talk about that. And um, they partnered with producers. Um, let's get to our, um, our, our people first. We have a songwriter and vocalist from New York City who... Um, lived through the 60s and we also have a lady who um, toured for 25 years around the globe 30 plus countries performed as Lisa Prout at the New York uh, Metropolitan Orchestra and also in Beirut Germany and our guest and our next one will be coming in as well too um, as is a bassist and multi-instrumentalist and worked with uh, a numerous people including now Rogers Kim Sozi Bo Diddley and more and of course we've got the leader who also Worked along those same lines as well, too. A celebrated session musician, bodyguard, and more. And live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Plus Studios in Smash Studios in beautiful downtown Manhattan, part of New York City, where Roger Waters um, had ventured these studios. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got the amazing trio of John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics. Guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hello. It's great to have you guys. And... Um, checked out your amazing music and you also got a um, new album called the eyes of 1969 which features a title track we'll be talking about that and um, you guys formed the new project to bring original music of sounds gone by to today's generation which is an analog and more and John you're a songwriter vocalist from New York City who lived through the 60s and you also um, worked with um, a, a number of people as well too you you are associated with um, now Rogers management you're also associated with um, Neil Bogart, Gene Simmons of Kiss, and uh, Casablanca Records, and a lot more. And um, Adrian, you uh, toured for 25 plus years, and you've been around the globe in 30 plus countries as um, lead soprano at the New York Metropolitan Opera, Beirut Journey, and more. 
And uh, Nelson Montana will be joining us later. He's a bassist and multi-instrumentalist who's worked with Nell Rogers, Kim Sozzi, Bodley, Chuck Berry, and more. And just a lot of great stuff. And he's also featured in the book. And before we get to um, your, your works as well, too, guys, tell us how I first got started. Well, um, I left music for a period of time and expected something to be, if to use a, uh, the word, replace what I went through as an adolescent and um, was waiting and realized that um, stockpiling the material that I did that was influenced from that time, um, I didn't want to never do anything with it. So having left the industry, I got together some of the best musicians that I knew and decided that it was time, uh, post-pandemic especially, this started during the pandemic, but post-pandemic especially, to put this all together, record, and to bring back that sound of which when I speak to so many older people, they all say similarly what we say also, that um, there seems to be a void. And the void is that um, there's that analog and the melodic and the production that um, just we don't see in today's music. I'm not saying there isn't good music around. There is good music around. But this, we live through something very, very special. And um, the time just seemed to be, again, right for this to bring something to the table, especially with musicians that all were concurring with the same mindset that I had had. Mm -hmm. And Adrian, uh, tell, us how, tell us how you first got started as well, too. So. Um, well, you know, uh, opera and classical music generally, we're all analog, we're all um, fingers on the instruments and so on like that. And um, I had a, a sort of a turning point in my life, uh, sort of like COVID brought a turning point to the, the planet right now. <laughs> I um, had a turning point and in a way it was really good you know the opera world gets sort of accused of being the museum keepers for this music and I, I can see that there are some people who might even say that about um, vintage rock and roll and I think that there's a big big difference between being a museum keeper and being somebody who's holding the space opening the choices maintaining as much freedom as possible for people to have all the choices in the world to listen to what speaks to them in a particular moment. You know, we've all had a favorite album and you go back and listen to it 10 years later and go, yeah, I was in a bad head when I was listening to that, you know? So, um, yeah, it's been very, very eye-opening for me, you know, opera everything's already written down and in uh, going in the studio watching these guys orchestrate something right there and going and it's always in the pocket you know that's the benefit of working with someone like John or someone like Nelson who's been around who's heard who's done who's seen and they really have this encyclopedia in their ear and in their brain and they just just go right to it right to it right to it it's very very impressive you know Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that was an answer, but John, I think you probably had an answer to it as well. So, <laughs> um, the question again, Mike. My apologies. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was just simply you agreed as well too. And what was that one precise moment that simply influenced you guys into um, what you're doing, your careers, and everything like that? Um, I think that going over some of the old material that I had, some of it written as I sent you something, um, even in the late 60s, and then I archived, and then waking up one day and playing the song and realizing that a lot of the vintage music is timeless. It is a cl some of classic and retro rock. 
um, can be played today in the right frame work and uh, still be as popular as it was then. Unfortunately, it's not pushed by the industry as much as it was, nowhere near as much as it was at the time, but I think that there was a light bulb that went on in my head, um, and I had said that, you know, if I'm going to do this again with this stockpiling of at least 150 songs that I've written, um, it's, going to be, it's going to be now. Mm -hmm. And, and how did you guys uh, first come together? Uh, I'll say that myself and Adrian. Uh, for, for both the guys and also with uh, Nelson. Uh, Nelson I had met in, um, in a, uh, a, a, a musician's finding uh, uh, website called um, Band, Band Mix, right. And I was so impressed with something he did on the bass, which was um, uh, somewhere, over the, somewhere over the rainbow, totally on bass. And uh, he used every, um, every different style and every rhythmic pattern and everything that on a bass you couldn't do, it seems. And I says, I have to call this guy. And I did. And then I found that not only he's a good songwriter, but he's a, he's a nice person. And we started collaborating. We're writing a lot of uh, different uh, uh, material right now. Uh, I sent you one, which I'm very proud of, that I need you home. And uh, so many other things uh, that we're doing, and um, it just seems to all to, for the American Relics. It just seemed to gel. TheAmericanRelics.com, by the way. <laughs> mm. And then uh, go ahead with you, um, Adrian. Uh, well, just uh, tell us about um, your, your story as well, and uh, also let's get to a part about uh, who are some of your favorite artists, singers, and um, songwriters and musicians growing up. Um, well, John and I actually met do I say? Um, we met online. Um, not necessarily for the purposes of music making, but uh, nevertheless, that's sort of where it gravitated to, because you can't have musicians without music coming out. You know, John oozes music, and um, <laughs> to the point that uh, we'll be hanging out or he'll be driving me someplace in the car and he'll just be writing something as we go along, singing the, 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 the narrative of the, the, the drive to the grocery store or whatever, right? So and that's, the, that's the degree to which they, these guys are, are just steeped in an atmosphere of music. And John has another bandmate, uh, not here with us in the studio to talk today, but Ian uh, Zane, um, th that you guys have known each other, went to high school together. So high school. Right. I met him on a junior high school. I was coming home from junior high school, and I liked his shirt. I told my mother, I want that shirt. She goes, first you want to be a Beatle, now you want to be a cowboy, because he had that type of shirt on. <laughs> and he played with the, um, he played with the, uh, the New, Riders. New Riders of the Purple Sage also on the East Coast, was their tour uh, bass player too. But everybody has something to, the American Relics, everybody has something to uh, bring, and there are different songwriters and different styles. It is all, to me, the best of what was we tried to emulate and bring those styles back in a modern sense. Mm -hmm. And who are some of your favorite artists, singers, and um, songwriters and musicians growing up, guys? So one of you can uh, go ahead and start. Adrian or John? Um, <laughs> go ahead, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I had... Uh, Unfortunately, my folks are still around, and they're in their 90s. So when they were growing up, they were taught classical music in school. And so they 
it wasn't a strange thing at all for them to have both influences going simultaneously, the pop stuff that was being played on the radio and the classical stuff that was still showing up in, in movies with different words, you know, tonight we love and that sort of stuff, right? Um, so that's the sort of household I grew up in. My dad used to love to blast Beethoven when he was in that frame of mind, and when he wasn't, my sister and I had transistors, so, you know, I was around listening to, I remember when Sh Sergeant Pepper came out, so of course you gotta love the Beatles, and um, and there were some other sort of swoony singers that as as young females, you know, with the, with the fan mags we listened to and stuff like that, but, um, <sighs> I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to think if anybody in particular jumps out. I mean, John has been playing me some Paul Revere and the Raiders. Mm -hmm. Oh my! God. A really great, a really? really great group. Yes, I love Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh. Right? Mm -hmm. And you know, as for a young girl, it's like, oh, they're just the cutest, swooniest things. You know, and I can remember cousins. In, uh, we would sit around and watch American Bandstand in black and white on the weekend and practice the dances in our pajamas and, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what is also missing from days gone by, Mike, is I'm sure you've heard this also in your podcast, is that when there was vinyl saying, it doesn't necessarily have to be vinyl, it could be just something physical. Nowadays we don't own anything, we're beholden to, to the internet to either turn us on or turn off, or off if we paid a prescription, excuse me, subscription. And I used to look so forward to say the Beatles White Album and opening it up and seeing the, if, you, if you're old enough you remember, the book in there and the I pictures. Remember, and yes, I remember. Oh my God, that was so exciting, that was so exciting and that, I feel so bad for the generation now because they don't have that ownership feel that they can go to it and play it on one of their own devices in the house they don't have to listen to anybody saying that they paid or they didn't pay is my you know signal working do I have the internet you know the capacity and that's something that uh, I think is very very much missed as is um, is evidenced by the um, the surge in vinyl sales right now and of course, vinyl sales is making a comeback as well too. Especially that I still have some vinyl back in the day of um, you know you know growing up that uh, I still have uh, some old Genesis. I still have some Yes, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, everything. And of course, it still got the scratchy feel to it. But it's like I love that scratchy feel. My family got me um, a, a turntable. It's like one of the more newer ones, but I prefer the older ones. A few years ago, and, and my daughter got me uh, Queen Night at the Opera. And, and it still sounds like, you know, it just came out like, well, it came out like 73, 74, 75 around there. And around there. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and listen to it. It's like, although it was new and it was like just, you know, completely out, it still had that same final feel. And you're right, too. And my favorite is just looking at the record label, go round and round. You, you read the liners and everything. Yes. <laughs> and they even right. come out designer ones where it's like they supply the whole logo all over the vinyl itself. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And at the same time, you know, having traveled a certain amount, having a, an ebook, uh, having a Kindle, having a Nook, having a whatever, so that you can take that massive amount of information in this teeny tiny space. I love the freedom of that. And uh, I'm learning, again, with, with John and with Nelson, that. Um, Having some of the uh, tools available, uh, Nelson was playing around with some instrumentation that he could do with a, a push button as opposed to calling and waiting for somebody to schlep their keyboard in and so on like that. So it, it's really nice to have all the options. It, mm -hmm. It's something that I'm taking a lot of pleasure in. And that, um, so I feel like the American Relics are really serving a, a, a genuine service to sort of hold the place of 
you know, to, to, to keep the space of, to, to, to make a foundation stone for that people can step onto. Analog, um, acoustic, et cetera, that is less focused on now. You know, it's easy to really get swept up in the technology because it's, it's traveling so quickly and, and it's, it's so amazing in what they're developing. And at the same time, it's sort of like the difference between going to see a movie with a flying unicorn that shoots lasers from its eyes or interacting with an actual horse. You know, the horse can't shoot the lasers, but it's really fascinating and unpredictable, you know. So, sorry, John, go ahead. <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good job as well, too. And that was the thing about um, the days of watching the old uh, sound effects, how it's actually crafted. Now it's all CGI and everything. So, right. and, I, and I even talked to some bands, too, that you'll, you'll still record a four track and eight track and analog. And, um, exactly. And of course, you know, right now that, too, is starting to make a comeback. And then you had the, uh, the full orchestras that were uh, heavily employed, you know, with the uh, big studios and everything. And then it started coming down to a Mellotron. And now, of course, you. Um, you got you got um, you know middies and everything like that too. So so we have all that, and then we're waiting on uh, Nelson Montana to uh, come on in. We'll talk more with um, John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics and talk about um, the eyes of 1969 and more. But first, listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by Soundwave Studios. Visit online at soundwavestudios.com for all you need. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Soundwave Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition weight. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. It's 1-800-303-3960. Or email support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Whitener Show. Get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Whitener Show, international warring author Mia Mosenzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Mosenzia. Available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. Available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Mosenzia has garnered great reviews and even love and endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Manales. So grab your copy today for Girls Missing by Mia Mosenzia. Available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on over 30 podcast platforms. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram and Twitter today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Mosenzia for great books, merchandise, and more. Also, support us on Anchor FM, PayPal, themikewidenershow.com. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com at the Mike Widener Show. Make sure you do so today. We're here with John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics here on the Mike Wagner Show. And Nelson Montana will be uh, joining us in a few minutes. And, um, John, before we talk about um, the album The Eyes of 1969 and some of the songs, um, you had worked not just uh, a, a celebrated session musician, but also as a bodyguard and a private investigator. And um, you also were known to um, investigate the disappearance of the Sheraton Hotel Fortune heiress. And, uh, you know, tell us about some of those uh, ventures as well. Well, um, she was um, Marcia Moore. She was a bohemian. She was a bit of a rogue in the family. She was into, uh, in California, the scene at the time back in those days, uh, which was um, as the specialty. Her specialty was um, hypersensitive, which was uh, traveling back into time and uh, visiting past lives and 
uh, reincarnation, and uh, unfortunately, she got involved with um, her husband at the time in a drug called ketamine, uh, known as Special K on the street right now, um, whereby um, they were using that drug in order to expand their minds, again, uh, reflective of the times, and um, there wasn't, uh, the outcome was that um, she walked supposedly uh, into the woods one day, and uh, she was never found after that. And I was on the case, and um, I spoke a lot to her husband, if I pronounce his name, remembering back, uh, Altunian, um, Robert Altunian. And um, there were a lot of circumstances that were uh, d d still, unre still unresolved. As a matter of fact, there was a, a podcast or a, excuse me, there was a book that came out recently. I think it was called An Undetermined Death, The, um, the Mysterious Disappearance of, uh, and Death of Marcia Moore. And also a woman, um, Elizabeth Bentley, is doing a documentary right now that she's conferred with me on writing the story of Marcia Moore. She just happened to come across the story in a, um, or the, the woman and her books in a library and became very, very interested in it. Long story short, um, they still haven't determined what the cause of her death was. It could be, and here it goes from the woo-woo side to the, to the possible realistic, um, that she was either a dematerialized, um, a coven of witches had um, slain her because of some beef that she had with them, um, suspect of her husband, um, another person that she was involved with in the past, and uh, her husband who had told me personally that um, she just might have been unvital at the time, possibly getting a little sick, I remember, because I remember him telling me that, and uh, walked into the woods and maybe being unvital, possibly on the, what she was taking, the special, you know, excuse me, the ketamine, um, maybe just couldn't find her way back. But they found her body uh, two years later, and it's still an undetermined death, and again, she was the Sheraton Motor in Aris, and just a little aside here, her son, uh, recently um, was missing for two years and he now also was found in the woods deceased because they did the DNA on him um, in Maine and uh, just uh, karmic you know just uh, again so many years later the same place that her son was found the woods and still it's an undetermined death Wow that seems coincidence and just <laughs> Crazy. unbelievable, yeah. And of course, you've been on a number of cases as well, too. Maybe just, um, you know, a couple more cases. You've also been a celebrity bodyguard. You can also tell us, um, you know, who, who you, um, you know, worked with and, you know, what were they like? Well, you know, there's a hundred books by bodyguards and they always get everyone in trouble. <laughs> and it's hard to say things about, uh, again, as a respect for people who are deceased, but... I can say a few things and maybe not name a few and maybe uh, name a few of incidents. Well, one woman who was a uh, well-known and older actress um, in the Rat Pack, she was known uh, in, in that. It was, I remember me driving her back to Central Park South, I think it was, and she had said, and she was also into um, the... Uh, uh, the, the what's the word of the, the paranormal also, uh, and uh, also a naturalist, if I remember correctly. Um, and she wanted to um, walk uh, from my car limousine to her hotel through Central Park at night. Wow! And 
I, that wasn't a good idea. So I remember myself having to hide behind certain trees and have her not see me to make sure that she made it there okay. Um, another story is I... I should I, interject. John's 6'4". <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, another story is someone I remember, this I will not mention the name, uh, that we was, he was in rehab at the time. Very nice guy, very, very big uh, at, uh, actor. And um, we made a turn uh, to a place that uh, put him off that, uh, is it off the wagon or on the wagon? Uh, uh, falling off the yeah, wagon. Yeah, there you go. And uh, many stories like that, but it's hard for me to really say say names here, but and there are many, many stories and names because it just, um, it never seems to work out right when you say something at the, at the end of the day. It doesn't. <laughs> and of course, that, that's a rather interesting profession as well, too. And um, also let's um, go over to uh, Adrienne. You also toured in uh, 30 countries. You uh, toured for 25 plus years. Lisa Prana at New York Metropolitan Opera and also in Beirut, Germany. And uh, maybe just, um, you know, a bit about those, the experience and uh, maybe some of your uh, favorite countries you sang and also some of the favorite opera houses. Uh, wow. Opera houses are fantastic. I mean, there's some things that just can't be replaced by by technology and one of them is a big space that's perfectly designed to carry sound and it's just one of the biggest highs that you could ask for and because of the position that I was in I was always singing with the really great orchestras really great fellow singers in really great venues so there was always a flavor there and there was usually a long history of other singers having been there before I got there um, that being said also as a result of being a singer I was with a group that we toured through the middle and far east ambassadors of opera and concert it was called wow. so exactly so I got to go to places that I would have had to save up for a really long time to go as a tourist um, Nairobi Kenya who would have think thought of them as being a, a potential venue for an opera tour? But that's Never one of the places that we stopped. Never right. thought of that. You know, you know, Nairobi having an opera. It's like it's like almost like you never know. So it's like you could right. go into. Um, oh, let's see. I'm trying to think of another country. Ah, that's for another time. So. <laughs> we went to Azerbaijan, and and interestingly enough, they had had Luciano Pavarotti shortly before we had come. So, you wow. know, the the thirst for all kinds of music is something that just gives me hope for humanity, you know, and they've been sort of emphasizing during COVID some of the the deleterious effects that it's had on us and our ways of thinking and our ways of feeling. But it's also, as far as I know, brought a tremendous boom uh, not just in streaming, but people listening to, to as, you know, as you were talking about, your beautiful vinyl albums and CDs and DVDs and, you know, that people are having a chance or had a chance to root back into the things that they might have tucked away and brought it back out and thought, you know, this reminds me not just of who I was when I listened to it, but of how great it still is. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and and also too, you know, being a musician as well too, maybe some of your favorite musicians you um, worked with as well too, John. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of uh, backing for people, but I think that the, um, the highlight of my life, all right, was that I was communicating with um, Jack Bruce, who's one of my idols uh, from Cream, uh, and he invited me to a show, and I got to speak to him 
for a while, and I asked him all the questions I wanted to ask about about cream, and he made me realize, let me see if I can put it in the right words, he real, made me realize my own musical importance and also that I still had something to give, in other words, what I was here for. I think if I didn't meet him at the time, I was going in another direction at the time, but meeting him and him uh, having some words with me and, and being, again, one of my idols, um, it made me realize that no matter that you can take the you know the music you know uh, you know from the musician but you can never really take it out of the musician that's for sure mm -hmm. and that's and that's very true as well and uh, adrian we're going to say something well just uh john has a great story on the website theamericanrelics.com check it out he's it, not only is it an amazing website but it's a it's a priceless story <laughs> it's about jack yeah you know, my my uh, encounter with my encounter, my conversation with Jack Bruce that night, and something that occurred, uh, which is a, a bit funny, and it was it's a, it's a precious moment in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, you know, you also had worked with as well too, uh, represented like with um, the contracts, Madonna, Bon Jovi, Shakira, Ricky Martin, and more. And it seems like the American Relics seem to just expand along those lines. Yeah, Gene Simmons, I remember, it hooked me up with the particular um, co uh, connections I had at the time, and then his producers in Casablanca Records, and then it was Elton John and Rocket Records after that. But it was, if I can give credit to Gene Simmons, he, he gave me the uh, attorney, who I'm still friends with nowadays, and who handles all those people and more. Um, and I think that... Um, my leaving the business after a period of time um, makes me reflect back on those times like it was yesterday. That's why I feel the leap from the 70s, late, well, from the 70s, we'll call it, to nowadays is such a connect, it's such a, a direct connection because, again, I'm not knocking the music nowadays. There's a lot of good music out there. But what we went through, yourself possibly also, Mike, was so special back then that it's something that's never going to leave us. It's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. And I'm only taking advantage of one of the aspects of that and what I can still do to sort of honor that and pay tribute to it. Mm-hmm. And certainly will, too. We'll talk about the album, The Eyes of 1969. We'll talk about the music, including the title track, I Need You Home. We'll be playing that at the end of the uh, audio interview. We'll stay, well, still waiting on Nelson Montana to join us as well, too. And uh, we'll talk about The Eyes of 1969. You listen to The Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all he needs. Also brought to you by our official sponsor, The Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Mosin's Zia Missing, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. We'll be back with John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics. Nelson Montana will be joining us after this time out. We're back with the American Relics with John Catano and Adrian Duggar in the studios here on the Mike Wagner Show. And um, also being at Smash Studios where Roger Waters and Pink Floyd played. And that would be experience as well, too, just being in a studio where Pink Floyd played. Yeah, and we just learned that right now from uh, our engineer here, uh, Jensen who seems to be a very, very nice guy. Hello, Jensen. Who's <laughs> in the corner. Took great care of us today. And uh, there's been a lot of stars that have come through here because uh, it's very uh, it's very well equipped. It's very well situated within Manhattan. You can and see once you get a reputation going that somebody of fame and fortune has done well here, then it expands within the industry. And other people uh, have, have and are coming to the studio here. It's called Crash 
Crash Studios in New York. Smash. Oh, excuse me, my apologies. Smash Studios. Again, my first, my first, my first time here. You know what? We're going to start something called Crash Studios. There you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. You know something? Build next to it. Crash, smash, smash, <laughs> smash. Right. 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 Exactly. No. Exactly. No, they absolutely have all the all the. All the support systems that you would want. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're and, very, very nice. And of course, jumping over to the eyes of 1969, once again, uh, you know, tell us about the album. You got the title track, you got uh, Just Before She Goes, Let's Get Lost, Rachel, Rachel, The Good Always Come Through, Blue Dream, and Things Will Never Be. And we'll be playing uh, one of the tracks, uh, I Need You Home, at the um, end of the uh, audio interview. So for those who want to listen to the song, I Need You Home, jump over the audio version of Mike Widener's show and check that. And um, you know, tell us uh, once again more about the album in detail and also some of the songs you wrote. Title track, Just Before She Goes, Let's Get Lost, and more. So feel free to talk about the album, guys, and uh, jump in whenever you feel like it, guys. Yeah, The Eyes of 1969 is the title track of our first album. And um, the title track is about, you know, uh, living my life, and it's two generations removed now almost from those times. Um, I see young people. And I notice young females also, and there's a certain quality during those times that is so special that girl, young girls had. And it was curiosity and, quote, revolution, not in a violent sense, but a, quote, um, a new way of looking at life. And I see, and I have seen uh, through my travels as a bouncer and as a this and that uh, some of these girls and it remind they remind me so much of the young girls from those days and if the song is about a gentleman not necessarily myself who sees one of these girls and says you have the same eyes as the girls back then and um, it, it's still a place in it, one of the lines of the course it's still a place in my heart to see that girl with those eyes and how uh, timeless it is or by generation to generation to generation that that quality still remains in certain young girls and that's something that I picked on I saw and I wrote a song about um, if I can just go on to one or two other songs without uh, oh, uh, delay, yes. Um, feel free. Adrian, if you want to jump in, that's fine too. So, uh, just before she goes, um, the, the George Harrison influence, the Beatles influence. Um, we have a um, a very uh, a kaleidoscope uh, video to it on uh, YouTube. Um, it it has that. Um, as you have to see very very um, ethereal uh, quality to it and I wanted to try to capture that also from those times that I heard in certain Beatle records certain George Harrison after that when he did the the uh, triple album and um, I think that we sort of pretty much picked up and did a fairly good job on that um, it, we, again, we'll be doing all types of uh, genres and, um, and eras in the future, but for right now, the first one, uh, reflective of the eyes of 1969, there was you know, a bit of that music going on um, in my mind in order to be created that brought me to the idea and the title of the eyes of 1969. Mm -hmm. and, and it sounded like it's a, a big project. You know, we've done like, you know, with uh, reviews and revivals like, you know, of the generation past, but going like two, three, that'd be a big challenge. You guys did a great job of um, 
you know, recapturing the uh, 60s generation and uh, bringing it to, uh, to today's generation. It's an amazing job you did. It's not, it wasn't easy because you have to, uh, you have to stand up and measure up to what was. And if I could just sidetrack a little bit to uh, one of your favorite, I was just listening to, didn't realize it at the time just how good they actually were, but just say, I'm going to take one group, I can name half an hour worth of groups here, but um, Mark Lindsay and Paul Revere of the Rages, you know, I was listening to his vocal, excuse me, and I was listening to the soulful, the rock soul that he had in his voice over such great melodies and the production uh, by, uh, the, uh, I forgot the, Ted Mel I forgot who the, the producer was at the time, but it was so reflective of what was going on in California at the time, but then I had seen an interview with him recently, a recorded interview, and he said when the Beatles came in, he said it was just so hard to continue what you were doing uh, because um, they changed everything. And even he tried to change uh, in another direction then. And it wasn't, um, I don't remember what he was saying as far as the quality of it or if he was happy with it, I don't remember. So I don't want to put words in, you know, there's no words that I, I don't want to quote him. But it seems like after the Beatles changed everything back in those days, him and maybe 30 other groups uh, that were trying, including, uh, 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 trying to think of who at the time. Well, I'm just saying, like, even the Beach Boys, like, what do we do now? You know, the California, I'll go back to the California groups. What do we do now if the Beatles came in? At one time, like, you remember, if you do remember, they had, the Beatles had the, the top five singles on, on the Billboard charts, the one, two, three, four, and five. How do you come? Yes, how do you compete with that when you're still doing, uh, uh, you know, kicks and uh, you know, songs like that? It's very, very hard. So what I'm saying is that I listen to all, the, I guess one of my point is, I listen to old groups now, and I might have been a little too young to, you know, really appreciate just how good they were, uh, but there's a lot of musicians like myself, older musicians, that say, Man, I can understand now just how difficult, how innovative, how creative it was what they were doing and how different. Nobody had done it yet. Uh, and you can listen to it. It still stands up 40, 50 years later. It's amazing. And, and, and it does as well, too. They say Sgt. Pepper's pretty much changed the whole uh, production aspect. And the Beach Boys tried with Pet Sounds. And then you also mm -hmm. had a few others. And also the, uh, the British sound as well, too, really changed everything. It was just the Beatles, but it was just part of the British invasion with the British sound that just, you know, really, really, really just overtook everything. And getting back to Paul Revere and the Raiders, I was going to mention the reason why I said that and give the thumbs up is because I was growing up in Racine and uh, we live in a duplex and uh, the neighbors, you know, had this quadraphonic stereo. Of course, the big thing was quadraphonic, you know, oh, yeah. the hot thing with those flash lights, flashing lights and everything in different colors. And they were blasting Paul Revere and the Raiders and it was just coming through our thin walls and um, nobody come over and say, we gotta turn that damn thing down. <laughs> but we're like, knock on the door, turn it up, we love it. I remember that just going through those thin walls in the town home, it's like, we love this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, so. Right? And then we're waiting on Nelson Montana to uh, join as well too here on the Mike Wagner Show and uh, we're here with um, John Catano and Adrian Duggar and um, of course we'll be playing the song, I Need You Home and maybe just, uh, Tell us a bit about that before we uh, play a song at the end of the interview. If there's any other songs you want to add, feel free to do so. The story behind that song is is quite uh, reflective of what maybe what happens to a lot of musicians like myself. Um, 
uh, co-writing it uh, in the late 60s, early, I don't remember what it was. We were still an adolescent and we were just playing, learning how to play then, but good. And um, just shelved that song for so many years and would play it once in a while every 10 years. And then I said, you know, <clears throat> let me look up my old friend, all right? And I played the song again. I said, this song can hold up. This song is timeless. This, this song is a classic, I believe. I believe. And so we reconnected over the phone so far or after uh, 40 plus years mm -hmm. and reflected those, and talked about those times and the song and that I was doing it and that he was so appreciative that, you know, that again, someone else like myself is taking interest, you know, in what we had done together so many years later because life, life is short, Mike, you know, it is. And, um, but that, that you put something on the side for so many years and then you say, I'm going to resurrect it. And then you find the person after, because I didn't even get to teach you, I forgot his last name. And I looked for him at times, but I was able to finally connect you know, God bless the internet, and uh, I did, and now we're talking about this, we did this song, and um, there's a new camaraderie and relationship, friendship that I have with people from my past, which is always very, very exciting and very, very nostalgic. That sounds very nostalgic and very amazing. Where can we find the eyes of 1969 and um, all your other works at? Yeah, right now we've released the Eyes of 1969. It's at all the stores. It's on. It's in iTunes. It's in uh, Spotify. Uh, I think there's about 40 songs. It's it's in. We didn't do the second release yet with um, uh, I Need Your Home. That's a preview for your broadcast here. But we've completed a second album, untitled just yet, because that would be important. And it is reflected, again, of not only songs from there, but possibly a little further forward and um, contributed by different musicians and I think that um, <clears throat> if I go along this path I think that we're going to do something very very nice with the American Relics going along these lines. We certainly would check that out once again with John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics here on the Mike Widener Show. Just a few more minutes. You guys have been absolutely fantastic and um, and, and, and uh, what else can we expect from you guys in 2022 and beyond besides um, with the, with the, um, the, the follow-up? Uh, you know, I have one dream, uh, and it's at this particular, you know, stage in, in our musician's life and life itself, it's that I would like to see the American Relics material played by American Relics or anyone else, covers of them, to be thought of as, I don't want to sound uh, egotistical here, but be thought of as special, all right? And that's what, you know, when you have so many songs from so many different musicians that have been shelved for so many years, it's very emotional and it's very, very um, satisfying in order to get these songs out into the public, show what we went through, put little stories behind it, maybe even hopefully with some sort of medium, put little books to it also that you can actually grab and own, who knows, I'm not sure you know, how we're going to do that or if that's going to come back or if it's viable in the industry now, I don't know. Um, I'm still learning the new industry actually itself, uh, the new industry, the new music industry. But that's what I, I, I hope, that we go on with albums and anything that comes out with us is looked at as something special because of the one million years combined of experience that we all have. 
and certainly amazing as well too and i thought about it with all the digital uh people out there they can also download the um app and also um ha have the liner notes like in their kindle or something instead of the paper version but um that, that'll be another time as well too and um who do you consider your biggest influences in your career so one of you uh go ahead and start biggest influences oh wow you know i i don't necessarily think of my influences as being from outside it was sort of like pushes from inside you know and I have the experience that John may have been more li like this as well and and Mike I think a lot of people are we're not necessarily looking to be influenced by people or, or they're people that we really loved and enjoyed and you feel like ah oh, what they what they're doing looks really cool but I would like to do my version of it you know um, and and so I feel like that was the biggest influence for me was to to be looking around the world and going oh there's this choice and that choice and this choice and that choice and to be looking for a way to combine things in the way that worked best for me I think was my biggest I, I would love to say that there was a person or a thing but I just feel like we were so inundated in the 60s and and that spirit of rebellion that John talked about in eyes of 1969 rebellion as opposed to complete rejection of you know what I'm saying it's like this is this is the way things are going and I see that and I'm trying to choose something other not not as a, a push away but as an expansion you know I, I think so many people in the 60s and th that's part of the drug scene and so on we were just looking to expand and I have a feeling that that was the possibly the biggest influence on me was to expand beyond what was expected of me or expand what beyond what people around me were doing because I didn't know anybody who was doing opera but me um, and I think that was my biggest influence was just looking to to find my way and make my choices in a way that thank God during that time period was really allowed and encouraged because to be different to be yourself in the 60s was totally accepted uh, for many for many people that's really interesting. I like that idea, expanding. That's a good way of putting it. And um, John, who are some of your biggest influences? Well, you know, you, you can't evade the influence, the major influence, the changing of the world by the Beatles. I think what the Beatles had and what, taught, and who taught, what they taught me and taught me musically also was that you, <coughs> you, I'm trying to think of how to explain this, um, that you try to make something in pop music that is simple sound more complex and something that is more complex you try to make more sound more simple and i think the the, the beatles were a, a, a master of that where they took a melody that could have been just one note and then how do we work with this melody they'll put harmonies they'll put a transversing chord change behind it and to me one of the keys to pop music is how the notes the uh, the the melody traverses the chord pattern that's behind it so i think they had probably the biggest influence on me but then again there was like uh, ian hunter i thought was a great lyricist from out the hoople uh, um all the 60s bands with the pop motown I mean, there's just beautiful melodies in Motown coming out of Detroit at that time. Uh, just, you, you can't get away from just how gorgeous so many of those uh, melodies were by The Temptations and groups mm. like that. And I think that there was a smorgasbord, to use a better word, a smorgasbord of, of melodies that were sort of crossing over 
uh, from rock and pop and, you know, the, the, the Beatles and the invasion in California. And it just created the perfect storm, so to speak, of music that I was lucky enough to be um, influenced by certain mentors at the time locally who I just happened to fall into, you know, a, a group of people that were older and more advanced than me during that time. So not only were during that time did they have the good influence or the extremely um, fortunate uh, uh, ability to have lived through that time, but absorbed so much of that, me being younger and curious musically, and then I learned uh, a lot of what they were what they were doing at the time. A short story um, on how I started my first um, gig. Um, my mother bought a guitar for herself to learn how to play guitar. I picked it up and I learned the first thing, I think you'll appreciate this, Mike. The first thing I learned was the um, the hook in um, And I Love Her. Do, 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 right? Do, do, do. Yes. And I kept playing that and I says, yeah, I could do this, right? And uh, <clears throat> I this, go, this is easy, right? Because <laughs> you learn four notes. This is easy, right? Well, I was wrong about that. Well, anyway, there was this band playing uh, across from the driveway on the next block where I lived. There was a driveway, houses driveway there. And I'd be sitting there at the window listening to them all day. And they, they didn't sound bad. And my mother says, why don't you go over and talk to them? I says, Ma, you know, I, 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 was, I was too shy and too young. She pulls me by the arm and she walks me over. All right, so we go over there, right? And they go, and there was a, it was a three-piece band. There was a, two guitars, just two guitars and a drum. All right, they said, you know how to play? I said, yeah, of course, right? Because I knew four notes, right? <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I started singing because I knew how to sing, and then I started picking up, you know, a little more on the guitar. And after only about a month or two. Um, I remember learning doom 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 the animals right yeah. and that was uh, the doors right hello I love you and we got those songs down and I I wouldn't say I was great but I was I was progressing pretty fast well we did a gig a battle of the bands which they had so many of them in those days and uh, P S we won and that was it for me I was hooked after that. Wow, that was something. I love it. And what's the best advice you guys can give to anybody at this point? Uh, advice. You want to handle that? or um, uh, If you've got something, I'll think. I think that you have to, if everything that has come from today backwards is has occurred already. So if you go back from one day to one year to five years, to 10 years, to 40 years, if you know, what, what, you are, what you are a fan of, or try listening to different music. I think the key to musicianship is to take the best of what occurred, the feel, this is very important, the feel of the time in the recordings also. What was the feel? What created that feel? What was the mindset? You know, when I go back, I try to think of, okay, you want to try writing a song and I want to write it, you know, with an influence of that area. How did I feel walking down the street? How did I feel with maybe my first girlfriend? How did I feel with the overall feel about the feel of the times, which there was something in the air back then, and I don't know what it was, excuse me, and I know it wasn't chemical for me, but for a lot of people, for a lot of people it was, but there was a feel of the times. Capture the feel. Capture what they were doing in the musicianship capture the recording techniques, and the trick is add something, learn from all of that, 
feed that into your own uh, songwriting style and add something unique of your own. That's, I think, the advice I might give. And, and then, Adrian, you, you had some time as well, too. What's the best advice you can give? Well, it's it's sort of taking John's uh, line and, and um, putting my own two cents worth. You hear a lot, and I absolutely sympathize with it, a sense from younger musicians, well, everything's already been done. Mm -hmm. And, wow, it can really, it can appear that way. Uh, but the fact is, probably at some point, every generation has felt like that. Well, it's all been done within that framework. And then something opens out. You know, everything had been done te technologically until they made an iPhone. And then, boom, a lot of other things, you know, branch off from that. And the thing that we all bring to it is nobody has my life experience. Nobody has my outlook on the world. And that, I think, is the magic alchemy. So as John was saying, you can amass all sorts of listening experience and study experience, practice experience, reading experience, all like that. But it's how you yourself alchemize it, the combination that you bring out uh, that no one else can bring. Make sure that the horizon is always receding in front of you, that we never get to a finite end of something because there isn't one. As long as there are different human beings, there's going to be different places to go and different ways to conceive of things. And um, so I guess the advice would be, you know, do honor to, to who you are and how you're looking at things. And even if it doesn't seem right at the moment, that's a lot of rebellion as well. You know, it might not seem right at the moment or people will flat out tell you it is not right and that you kind of stick to it and see, can it bear some fruit and can it bring something to me and to other people? Uh, mm. That, yeah. that, that is very good advice. Once again, John Catano and Adrian Duggar of the American Relics here on the Mike Wagner Show. Guys, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you again soon. Do us a favor. Keep us up to date. Love you back in 2022 and beyond. Keep in touch. Once again, tell us about your upcoming projects, what's your website, how do people contact you, or can people purchase or check out your works? Such a pleasure talking to you, Mike. Yes. Thank you, Mike. And uh, the website and everything? Uh, yes, it's the American, my apologies, it's the AmericanRelics.com. Um, we have the bios of the people involved with us, and there'll be more people in the future. Um, we have the uh, songs uh, there, you can go to listening to the songs there, or to YouTube. Uh, you can, you can uh, hear all the songs on all the stores that are out there right now, iTunes and Spotify. Uh, that is our first album called The Eyes of 1969. Uh, the second one we have completed, second album we've completed already, untitled yet, but I've given you a glimpse of Micah to be played on your show, first time here, a song called um, I Need You Home, that will be uh, possibly the single or just included in the second album, and then we look forward on just keep moving on from there. We will certainly do so and listen to it on the audio version. And guys, a very big thank you for your time. You've been totally amazing. Learned a lot. Looking forward to having you in soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Glad to have you back. We wish you all the best. You guys have a great future ahead of you. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Nice being here.